0: Thank you for listening to the Silver Club Podcast. Here's your host, two-time Walker Cupper and former world amateur number one Steve Scott, and men's golf coach at Yale University and golf historian, Colin Sheehan.
1: All right, everybody, we're back for another Silver Club Podcast. What's going on, Colin?
0: How you doing, Steve? This is uh, unusual times, to say the least. It was unprecedented. Um, yeah. It really is. It really is. I, you know, we, we're looking at, uh, I'm, I'm here on day 14 of home quarantine here with the family. Um, I left on that Wednesday, March 11th. How quickly things changed. I was on the plane. The plane was speeding up on the, on the runway at LaGuardia. And I was flying down to West Palm Beach to meet the team. And we were going to play in that shankle tournament. And uh, as the plane was speeding up, I got a call. From uh someone in my athletic department, and they just said the season's over and just,
1: just like that huh i mean it's it's it was just that abrupt. there was no discussions amongst coaches, nothing like that, right
0: It moved fast, you know I honestly you know they earlier in the week the Ivy League was out at the it uh, was on the forefront of this, and they they canceled the sort of their um, the conference basketball tournament and it's amazing how quickly everything change because there was there was a lot of surprise and shock and people thought it was an overreaction and and only a few days later it was the utterly correct decision to make and um so we're in a new reality um i it's it's hard to imagine it was on a very small personal, selfish level, it, for me and my players, we it was gutting. it was it was hard to just have the season abruptly end like that yeah but how many how many
1: my, how many seniors on your squad and how many did you did have to just finish the season right there? and i I did hear that the NCAA is allowing potentially people who had spring sports to be able to come back and at least finish their eligibility up right.
0: It's definitely an option for a lot of the other conferences. The Ivy League, you can't compete as a as a graduate student yet. There may be a special exemption. Um, Interesting. It's possible, that, um, it's possible that a bunch of the really good lacrosse players at Yale might uh, be playing against Yale for Virginia or some other school next year. Uh, but in hindsight, you know, it, it, it wasn't very soon. It wasn't very long after that announcement that it just – you knew it was the right decision. And, and, uh, Yale and the other Ivy league schools had sort of the, uh, the, uh, public health experts advising them. And, and so we just want everyone out there to do their part and be safe. We're, we're lucky, aren't we? That golf is a non-contact sport and that it's played in open spaces and outdoors. Amazingly lucky. Right. I mean, uh, I, I've been taking advantage of, uh, while we've been home, I, I've been taking my two younger daughters to the Yale golf course just about every other day, uh, not to play, but uh, to them, that is the world's greatest uh, forest and and just Jurassic Park with streams. And and we sp- we'll spend hours out there. And um, one thing that's really cool about... It's a sanctuary,
1: airport, really. I mean...
0: It, it is. It's full of people in the neighborhood walking their dogs. And when I say full, there's, there might be 15, 20 couples out there just... Walking in every different direction. There's no sort of path you need to take, and um, it's it's really relaxing. It's, it's 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 it feels great to be out there. And they're climbing on rocks and jump and running in the bunkers. And uh, so I've I've uh, I think everyone, if we may not, you know, haven't hit any bad shots <laughs> during those visits. <laughs> And enjoy the course. and Enjoy so many aspects of golf—just the walk and being outside and, and enjoying company. And uh, you know, there's there, there's a lot of still benefits from visiting visiting the golf course. I, I noticed you've had a chance to play a few rounds.
1: Well, I I have a little bit. They they closed our club here uh, in North Carolina for a short time. It's opened back up now, fortunately, for people to walk. But nothing else is open. Golf shop, clubhouse, everything is closed like that. But but yeah, there, there's certainly a a different appreciation for just getting outside now. I mean, just to to get outside and breathe the fresh air and and then be lucky enough to to be able to hit a golf ball around a, a really nice golf course.
0: I agree. And I think, you know, when the time does come that we get to play again. Uh, God willing, sooner than later, and I I think we'll all have a tremendous appreciation and and perspective about things, and uh, we'll love our love for the game will be stronger than ever. So, no, I was just grateful to the the people still maintaining courses everywhere. Uh, My heart goes out to all the staff. Uh, You know, I know it's on a a much larger scale, sort of entire United States and its economy and, and millions of people being laid off. But I personally am sorry for the caddies at all of these clubs and, and the sort of hourly and, um, workers who, who really depended upon, upon, uh, working and working in any, in pro shops and at the range and in, clubhouse managers it's a tough it's a tough time it's it's, it's people we all know personally
1: yeah right i mean you, i mean you just think about all these golf courses that that have had to close and all the businesses and small businesses large businesses that have had to close because of this i mean think about the history of the game would you say this is you being a golf historian would you say is this unprecedented times for the golf industry or maybe someday previously uh, golf courses were – I know we talk about overseas like clubs like St. Andrews and things like that uh, you know, not being open. It's hard to believe.
0: How about that? I mean, so over 500 uh, years since the last uh, act of parliament banning golf, um, has, 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 has it been sort of uh, illegal to be on a golf course in the U.K.? Um, I definitely, um, you know, I was sad to see that notice that went out from Brewer the other day. Brewer is one of my favorite sort of hidden gem links courses just up the road from Dornock And, you know, the, the big famous clubs will be fine. Uh, they'll take a hit this year. But, you know, those of us that we've all been very fortunate to go overseas and play around Great Britain and Ireland, once you get past the sort of open road on the famous courses, every every little all the hidden gems are the ones that are going to be in the sort of very quickly being a tough situation. I, one thing I would recommend anyone listening if, if there's a club they've visited over the years and always loved, if it's Karn or Brora or Golspie or, you know, there's a million examples, Montrose, a lot of them have overseas memberships. And you can, it doesn't, it doesn't exactly require a, a, a lengthy application process with sponsors. You could just download the form and, and usually a couple hundred pounds to be a member at really? the more, yeah, how golf cool is club that? Or, and yeah, and if you and if you may not get there this year, you may get there next year. And if you if you only do it one year, and uh, it's only good karma, and it's not like any of these places is going to be wasting that money. The the most beautiful thing about those small clubs is how they can just be so practical and frugal and, and stretch it. But some of them are gonna. It would be a shame to lose any golf courses because of this would be especially a shame to lose historic links like a james braid design or an old tom course or especially when those course those courses spend the majority of them to support local golfers and i mean that's the heart that's the lifeblood of the game there and so anyone anyone interested in 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 looking up a few we could probably post a list and share it because that that wouldn't be a um, a bad thing to do. Um, I was once an overseas member of the Fortrose and Rosemarke Golf Club on the Black Isle there in Scotland. <laughs> that sounds fun. Uh, beautiful, yeah. And then, uh, yeah. There's 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 a lot of cool things like that. And I and we were just saying, not since um, you know it, it took an act of parliament in 1457. It's the it's the earliest recorded reference to the game of golf, and then. There was two more subsequent bans by the, by the act of – by Parliament because they were worried the, the military was spending too much time playing golf and soccer. Um, but it is a shame. It's a shame to ev- – it's a shame that um, people who's re- – just how disruptive it is to everyone's it, routine. It,
1: it sure is. You, you, you talk about these classic venues all around the world and you know a little closer to home in New York – Uh, Reports have come out, uh, although not officially corroborated by the USGA, that the U.S. Open now will be. It's the third major that will be pushed back. Uh, Obviously, Wingfoot, great Tillinghast design, 36-hole facility. Maybe the the two greatest courses right next to each other anywhere on the planet. Uh, Although Beth Major, from the USGA, senior director of Championship Communications, have said that you know there's no official word yet, but uh, tournament preparations at Wingfoot were halted last week because the club closed when Governor Andrew Cuomo signed an executive order suspending all non-essential work in the state, and uh, New York is is really hard hit. Uh, hard to see our national championship alongside the Masters being moved back, but hopefully some, some golf will be played this year.
0: You know, it goes to show you how quickly we're resetting our expectations for things for things. I had looked forward to, uh, the Wingfoot open for a variety of reasons, but that Sunday, the final round father's day was going to, is my 45th birthday. And wow. I was gonna, I was gonna take my daughters and my dad, and we were going to go early in the early in the final round and then come home and watch it together. And God, truthfully at this, you know, uh, now I'm just thinking about the health of my father
1: no question. Look, we we at the Silver Club podcast, we all of our listeners and extended families and we wish nothing but the best of great health to everybody in these in these times where a lot of people aren't aren't being so fortunate right now and hope everybody's got the health care and, and medicines and everything that they need. And we just need a vaccine for this thing really soon. But well, one thing that is a good vaccine, at least for the soul is a great podcast guest and that's who we have right now with nbc's own dan hicks but before we get to this great podcast i just wanted to talk to you real quick about the silver club golfing society just like everybody else in the golfing world right now we're on a hiatus we've had to push a couple events back but Not to worry, we've still got a lot of events in the hopper, and we've got some wonderful venues. Check us out on our website, silverclubgs.com. We've got some awesome venues, some major championship venues on the docket, and places you're not going to want to miss once this bell starts to ring again for all of us around the world. Don't forget to check us out on social media at Silver Club Golf on Instagram and Twitter. We're on Facebook as well. Got to also give a quick shout out to one of our new sponsors, the Winston Collection. They make some of the finest leather goods, head covers, cool towels, tournament gifts, you name it. Andy and Drew over there at Winston have just done a tremendous job building up their company, and they've been very generous in helping us. You can look at a couple pictures on Instagram that we've posted on there from cool head covers and towels and whatnot. Check out Winston Collection, and you won't be disappointed with what you find from them. All right, without further ado, let's get to this great podcast with the incomparable Dan Hicks. Enjoy the listen, everybody. Okay, we have an extra special day here on the Silver Club podcast, it's right on your doorstep as we welcome a guest who needs absolutely no introduction. His iconic voice has been heard on NBC Sports for over 28 years, and if there was a Mount Rushmore of sports broadcasters, our guest today would undoubtedly be on it. Dan Hicks, welcome to the Silver Club podcast.
2: Steve, thanks for having me. Pleasure to hear your voice, and uh, it's, I'm looking forward to the chat.
1: Well, this is this is really special. You know, today, instead of being at home, you should be out in Austin covering the PGA tour event, the Dell Technologies match play. How strange is it to have this extended vacation really forced upon all of us?
2: Yeah, it's it's bizarre times for everybody. Um, when we were out, you know, when this whole thing happened, we were right smack dab in the middle of doing, you know, the best longest stretch of golf that we do at golf channel and NBC, and that's seven in a row. And as everybody knows, the Players' Championship, uh, they had to pull the plug on that just uh, one round in, which was very, very strange. Uh, We've had, you know, some tournaments obviously have been canceled in the past for whatever reason, but to have a championship of that magnitude go on for the first day and then have, you know, then they decided that they were going to do it without crowds. And, you know, I had had this feeling on Wednesday night that we weren't going to play that uh, championship in its totality. So, that just kind of got the ball rolling with golf, and then so here we are with no uh, no view at all of when the next uh, golf championship is going to be. Uh, the majors are slowly, I think, going to be numbered here. The U.S. Open coming up, uh, which is in my neck of the woods in Wingfoot, is probably in deep jeopardy, but uh, it's the right thing to do, no doubt.
1: Yeah, I, I think so. I, I did hear that the U.S. Open did just get get uh, pushed back kind of unofficially, but uh, we'll maybe hear an announcement shortly, but, uh, you know, it, yeah, being home like this, how, how many days do you typically spend on the road? And I mean, it's gotta be kind of weird being, being at home so much now.
2: It is. I do get stretches where I spend, uh, you know, two, three weeks at home during a, during a run where we don't have anything going on, but this is going to be longer than that. So this is uh highly unusual Um, but I do have stretches where I'm at home, but then I'll go on the road and I'll I'll be going back and forth for maybe six, seven, eight weeks at a time. The Olympics were going to happen this summer. Uh, and so anytime there's an Olympics involved, that brings even more events. Uh, I do the swimming at the summer games, which were, were to be in Tokyo this year. Now those are postponed, obviously. So it brings in trials. So I would say during an Olympic year, uh, that's the most, uh, I'm away and the most travel that I, that I go through. And I would say probably. It's in the area of maybe 30, early, you know, like early 30s as far as weeks go a year uh, for in, during the Olympic cycle.
1: Wow. That's uh, you're getting your uh, frequent flyer miles, hotel points, all that racked up. Uh, what sort of things now yeah. that you're around the house so much? Have you have you gotten any home projects in? <laughs> have you have you passed the time where uh lately?
2: it's funny i think i'm doing what everybody else is doing we're, we're getting a lot of stuff done around the house uh my my wife has totally attacked her closet and i have attacked the garage and i've attacked other areas of our house which have uh collected things that we really don't need anymore And it's it's good because you kind of take stock and you realize how lucky you are you have all these things you have all this stuff and it, it could really be best suited out of our hands and We're talking like old coats and clothes and things like that, shoes that that other people could use a lot more than we have. So I think we're like everybody else. We're trying to, you know, take out the good things uh, of this whole ordeal and try to turn it into positive things. One thing um, my youngest of three daughters has done, she's she's cooking or baking granola. And she's a freshman at Duke University. And she decided that she was going to help kids in the no hungry uh, foundation, no hungry, uh, organization. And she's raised, uh, you know, more than $1,300 doing that. And she just took it upon herself to do that. So if you guys, if you and Christy and the kids need any granola, Steve, we <laughs> are your household to, uh, Bake and deliver.
1: All right, perfect. Send it, send it down here, uh, down to North Carolina. We will, uh, we will work on that for sure. Yeah, you, you mentioned your three daughters. Uh, I read that they, they're out of the house though, all now. You're empty nesters, and I got to give you a big congrats. First of all, you and Hannah celebrated your 26th wedding anniversary this past January, and I got to say, you, you totally overmarried.
2: I, I mean, why wouldn't you? Right? Why wouldn't you? Big, well, you know, you and I are in the same boat. I think. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's no doubt about that. I, I get that all the time. And it's a it's a definitely a a true comment. Um, yeah, I, it thanks a lot for the and I can't believe 26 years. It just seems like yesterday we were broadcasting you and Tiger at the uh, at the US Amateur in 96. Hannah and I got married, believe it or not, two years before that. So mm. that's what we're talking about here. And you <laughs> and Christy were together for that. So I tell you, time marches on, and you and you look at all these milestones, and you think back—you uh, can't believe how, how quickly it's flown. Yeah,
1: we mentioned the name Hannah. It's not just any Hannah out there. It's ESPN's Hannah Storm just a, a pioneer in women's sports broadcasting, broadcasting in general. What's it like to be to be married to her? And and how are those kind of conversations at home? You know, I can imagine she said, Hey, honey, how your day go? And you said, Well, I had Jack Nicholas up in the <laughs> tower. And she said, Ah, that's nothing.
2: <laughs> yeah, she's, uh, she's got me beat uh, in most of those uh, categories. But it's you know, I, I get asked that a lot, and I think I, I think it's been actually really good for our relationship. I think we both understand the demands of, of the business, and Hannah knows that when I've got to get on the road and do my thing, uh, she gets it. She understands how demanding this business can be, and vice versa. In fact, she is being uh, called upon even more so during this coronavirus uh, period to uh, even work harder at ESPN, where she's been working now for, geez, 10 years, Before that, she was with me at NBC Sports. So, and I get that, and I think that uh, you know, with especially with a lot of people who have lost their jobs, um, if you're going to have you know work a little harder and have to do a little bit more to get through this, to get your company through this, to get whoever you work for along the way, you're going to do it. So, uh, but it's been good. I think that uh, we we have we have definitely had some interesting conversations. We are our harshest critics, and uh, that goes for you know critiquing ourselves and our significant other so i think it's worked out
1: yeah i i think it has and she's a you know you got to note she's a much younger woman 11 days younger to be exact uh you (laughs) guys are darn you've
2: done your research pal you really you've you uh, you've got it down
1: darn near born on the same day but you know in looking you know some things really come to fate and looking at the love story of you two it looks like fate intervened really twice to keep you together. First at CNN in 1989 and then at NBC in 1992. Tell us about that.
2: Yeah, that's it's it's really interesting. First of all, the last person I thought I would marry would be somebody that does what I do, but at CNN Sports uh, back in the day when she was it's it's funny, I'll never forget, she was the first person I ever met. I got on the elevator to go up and I'm all nervous. I'm the, I'm the kid from small Tucson, Arizona and she's been out there in the world. Her her family moved around, so she was a lot more worldly than I was and probably still is. (laughs) But I got off the elevator, and she was the first person I saw. I saw her smiling face. And you just think to yourself, I I remember thinking to myself, is this really what she's all about? She has boundless energy, incredible personality. And so just by happenstance, she got there a month before I did in Atlanta, kind of took me under her wing, showed me around. We became great friends, and then we started dating. And then It's funny when we got both interests uh, from NBC Sports, she was a lot, you know, they were a lot more interested in her than they were in me at the time. And they actually wanted to hire her away from CNN Sports. But long story short, we ended up both going to NBC Sports uh, in 92 when they needed uh, more studio anchors for the Olympics. And so uh, we ended up working together there for 10 years. And she went and did the CBS Early Show. And then she's been at ESPN ever since. And then I, have uh, had the great fortune of staying at NBC Sports for, for a long period of time. <laughs> yeah,
1: let's, let's talk about that for a second. So as you dreamed as a child uh, of what your life would look like, you know, you're nine years old and you're looking down the road at, at what you might want to do or dreaming about, hey, I'd like to be a doctor, a lawyer, a firefighter, whatever the case may be. Did that dream come close to the reality that you now live?
2: Yes, I think, and beyond so. I think uh, as kids, we all, if we're, if we're lucky enough, we're dreaming about something that we'll, we'll ultimately do. And that's exactly what happened to me. I was in love with sports for the first time I can remember. The first thing I'd reached for was the sports page in the newspaper. Sports, I played them all. I loved them. And I thought, well, you know, if I'm not going to make a living at them, what's the next best thing? And that's having the best seat in the house. And I was always also infatuated by the by the media part of it, by the announcers who called the game and put you there. So I had, pe- I had guys that I listened to. I was in Tucson, Arizona, so we didn't really have a professional team. So I listened to the radio a lot and I listened to Ben Scully and I would, he would take me to places and put me in you know, sports events that I could only dream about by just listening to his voice. I was always infatuated by that. So to actually dream about something and then do it, Um, it's been, um, you know, pinch me when it's over because uh, I've never worked a day in my life.
1: (laughs) Now, let's take us back to the first broadcast for golf that you did with NBC. How how would you quantify your golf IQ at that moment to what it is right now?
2: (laughs) Um, I would say I've learned a lot about it, and I think anytime you immerse yourself in a sport professionally, and I mean that from a broadcast sense. Um, I've learned the same thing about golf, probably more so about golf because it's, it's mostly what I do, but in all the other sports that I have immersed myself in because I've been called upon to do them in a play-by-play capacity, whether it's swimming at the Olympics, whether it's speed skating, alpine skiing at the Winter Olympics, whether it's tennis, which I've, which I've started to do again, football, you, you immerse yourself in the analysts that we have um in this case rowdy Gaines for swimming johnny miller in golf and now Paulie's are in golf and all the rest of the guys that surround us on our team by just being around these guys you learn so much about the sport and so even though i didn't play it professionally not as a livelihood like a lot of you guys have i've gained an appreciation of how hard (laughs) the game is and I love it. I love to play it. We, we play a little bit uh, with me dressed in the red and black, just to remind you of your, of your nemesis that beat you in the 96 <laughs> U.S. Andrew. So it's a fun game, uh, but I, it, it's, it's a lot of fun to play. But uh, it's, it's what I do, uh, you know, as a professional that uh, has really allowed me to pick up some pieces of wisdom.
1: Yeah, you mentioned sitting next to Johnny Miller over all those years. Obviously, there's there's got to be a, a story or two that that sticks out in your mind that uh, you wouldn't mind sharing.
2: Oh wow, geez, where do you start? <laughs> uh, because Johnny, I'm telling you, what 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 the, the most fun part about working with Johnny? Is you never knew it was going to come out of his <laughs> mouth. Uh, and you know, sometimes it was pretty controversial. I mean, sometimes the way Johnny put it was that he is going to make bogeys because he says his philosophy was he was going to broadcast like he played. And that means going for pins. And when you go for pins, sometimes you're going to have some flame outs. <laughs> um, let me see if there's anything I can actually share. Some of the best mm-hmm. stuff is uh, stuff that you and I would share not on this podcast. <laughs> sure.
1: Well, the funny, the funniest thing I ever saw was he had, he had an affinity for cheese whiz.
2: Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Those, those <laughs> So I would probably say half of the time that Johnny and I spent the 20 years we spent in the AT hour broadcasting, he was probably barefoot half the time. He's just <laughs> kind of one of these, uh, you know, nature boys who just kind of likes to get comfortable and just kind of freewheel it. And, you know, his broadcasting spokes for himself, but he, he had this can of cheese whiz that he got attached to for a number of years. And I would look over, him, look over at him and, And it would have this little like sound, you know, when the the cheese whiz is coming out of the nozzle. (laughs) And sometimes that would be getting on the air. And our producer, Tommy Roy, would go nuts. He goes, what's that sound? What's that sound? Like, that's Johnny eating his cheese cheese whiz again. He's like, what? He's eating cheese whiz on the air? And I'm like, yeah, he's like, he's mainlining it. He's going straight into the nozzle, into his mouth, and he's eating cheese whiz along with Oreos and other stuff that wasn't exactly, uh, top nutritious items, but, uh, yeah, that's just one of the fun things that Johnny, that Johnny <laughs> did displayed behind the airwaves.
1: Oh, that's too funny. Uh, so now you've got Paul Azinger, the great player, Ryder Cup captain. Uh, he's been a broadcaster for many, many years as well. How, how's that transition been? It's been a little over a year now since you guys made the switch.
2: Yeah, it's, um, you know, replacing Johnny is, was going to be, you know, huge, you know, shoes for anybody to fill. But I think we got the exact right guy that we needed. Because I think, and again, Zinger is his own guy. There's no Mm -hmm. doubt about that. And he's already kind of proven that. But I think that if there was anybody out there that was as much like Johnny, in the sense that had no filter, wasn't going to mince words, wasn't going to really worry about what people had to say about it, but was just going to speak truly honestly about the game that he was watching. It was zinger. And anytime you are thrust into a crew, which, uh, which ours has been together now for 20 plus years, everybody, he felt a little bit, you know, he was, he he told me he was nervous. He was anxious about it and especially, you know, taking over for Johnny, but the quick transition that he made, I think, I I hope the viewers feel the same because we do. Um, and I know many of them do, that it's been a, a great quick transition and a guy that really has just kind of come into our group and hit his stride. And uh, We've become uh, really good friends, and that's what you want, too, off the air. You want somebody that you're going to just want to shoot the breeze about, whether it's golf, whether it's about life, your family, whatever. Zinger has uh, come every day with a passionate um, energy to, to broadcast and uh, he's been all you could ask for.
1: yeah he's he's a super guy you can really feel the rapport on air um i've had a chance to work with him a little bit on the fox sports side that he does with the usga events and we got to know each other a little bit and and uh yeah. definitely definitely a a super guy like that but but yeah you you, you reference kind of you know the, the rest of the team and you guys have been together for so long and roger maltby gary coke it's just been magical to hear your, your voices kind of intermingle over the course of time, and you could darn near finish each other's sentences, right?
2: Yeah. Uh, there's, as you know, and you're just kind of getting started in this business and been doing it a little bit, there's no replacing reps on the air together. And golf is a sport where we don't see each other. Other than Zinger or Johnny, whoever happens to be sitting next to me, I don't see the other broadcasters. And so you kind of have this sixth sense or feeling of when they're going to talk, when they might have something on their mind that you want to give them time to explain. It's been all of that with Roger and Gary Koch. And through the years, we've had Mark Rolfing on the ground. And now David Faraday, who's really hit his stride as one of our (laughs) tower announcers. I mean, he he made his mark on the ground with CBS. And he came over to us, we were thinking, all right, we're going to, we're going to put them on the ground too, because that's who, that's what people know him as is the guy. And, but we just found out that we had, we had two guys and Roger Malpey and David Perry that were so good. We needed to utilize them both during every show and every possible minute. So Faraday went up to a tower uh, because if you got those, both those guys in the ground, you're not going to hear from both of them because you know how it is. Yeah. You get one kind of group where you're concentrated on. It's basically the championship or tournaments coming down to, to win or lose. And, you, and the other guy's going to be kind of left out of it. So David has been unbelievable on the tower and his transition to a full-time tower guy. So now he's been with us for several years. So there's no replacing uh, knowing these guys. It's like a family on the road and uh, can't tell you enough about how, what those guys have meant to the entire team.
1: Yeah. Over all the years. Uh, yeah. They, they certainly have gelled together real nicely back in 2015 though, you you guys changed from covering the U S open now to the open, the the British open overseas and, How did that go and how did that feel to, you know, go from covering our championship here in the States to the oldest championship in golf?
2: Yeah, well, first of all, the initial feeling, shock and sting of losing the U.S. Open, which it happens in business. And um, but that was tough for our our team, because at the time we didn't know if we had another major in the offing. you never know if you're going to get back into the major game, so to speak. So doing the U.S. Open for 20 years like we did was just unbelievable and you're thinking ah can it get any better than that and then we got the rights to the Open Championship and I'd always heard I'd never been to an Open Championship before we broadcast our first one in 2016 and I had heard from everybody from the guys that had done it that are now a part of our team Terry Gannon, Mike Tirico and some other people behind the scenes they said you are going to love the Open Championship just wait so we did it. We did our first one at Royal Troon and we had that unbelievable duel between uh, Mickelson and Stenson. And I just, even before it started, I told everybody I said, you know what? I get it. I, I, I get what you guys are talking about. There's this global special feeling about not only the courses that you play and the courses that are a part of the open Rota, but the, the, that feeling of golf in its purest links form Uh, has just been an incredible way to kind of go down the back nine of my career um, after doing the U.S. Open to finish it and and do the Open Championship down the stretch has been uh, unbelievable.
1: And maybe it was harder for Johnny not to do that because then he couldn't really talk about his final round 63 back there in 1973, <laughs> right? He, he had to pull something else out of his hat, right? Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. How funny was it when Stenson uh, did what he did at Troon? And I was sitting next to Johnny when Stenson kind of uh, took Johnny by the wayside, right, with that finishing round. But uh yeah yeah i mean johnny you know, u.s open 73 and all that we, we we kid him a lot he gets i know he gets kidded about that from, from everybody out there in the world a broadcast world and beyond but uh we we get him aside too about it as yeah
1: well. that's funny and then brandon grace shoots 62 at the open as well i think at uh at Birkdale, not too long yes. after you guys you guys covered that one so that, that must yep. have been interesting as well
2: <laughs> yep it was you never know that's you know and that's what's great about these things it's sports in general, just unscripted drama. And I think that's what we're missing in this time is people can kind of throw themselves into sport when the world, um, is going through, you know, adversity like it is now, but we don't have, we don't have sports. We don't have that live, uh, you know, place fantasy world to go into to kind of let us forget about things. So that's why I think this time has been, uh, even more difficult for everybody.
1: Yeah, we need, to, we need to get back to that really quickly for sure. But, you know, of all the people and all the all sports that you've covered over the years, you've interviewed countless number of the best athletes on the planet. Are there any interviews out there, though, that you'd still love to get?
2: Wow. Um, they have to be alive, right? uh well
1: <laughs> i i guess in this realm yes
2: <laughs> but 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 even past yeah, or present yeah, yeah. like
1: um, who would who would have there been somebody that you would have loved to have
2: well well past in the sport that i do and i don't know how um enlightening he would be because he was very private and very to himself as ben hogan i I'm, I'm still fascinated by the guy and and reading what i have about him and kind of how he approached the game and this solitude and you know selflessness he's an amazing amazing uh character and sports figure of our past Uh, so he would be probably you know the past uh guy that i'd love to interview present day people um i would say you know not not to not to sound flippant about it but all the sports that i have been involved with i've i've basically talked to met and interviewed Pretty much all of them, (laughs) all the people in the golf Olympics. I mean, Michael Phelps is at the top of the list. I'm intrigued by him. Tiger. I mean, on down the list. So I don't know if I'd really have anybody, um, Right you, now, you, that I you, that I'm yearning to talk. You're to. pretty much beside Steve Scott. <laughs> besides Steve Scott, the runner-up at the USA. in '96.
1: Well, I, I'm certainly not going to get let you uh, let you go today without discussing a little bit from that '96 AM. Obviously, early on in your career at NBC, it was certainly early on in my career as a 19-year-old sophomore to be at University of Florida. What are some of your memories of that day, of that event? Obviously, it was Tiger Woods' final amateur event he ever played, turns pro the next day. Talk us through kind of what you were thinking and maybe some of the conversations behind the, the scenes. I, I always wanted to know that almost 25 years now down the road.
2: I know. Well, I'll be, I'll be totally honest with you, Steve. I've been in, been in this business coming up on 30 years now. And uh, there are moments and there are events that uh, that you'll never forget that are just special, um, you know. Whether it's the Olympics that I've had an opportunity to do, all the great golf events that I've I've had the opportunity to do, but early on, that '96 US Amateur at Pumpkin Ridge had had all the check marks to it. First of all, it was pretty pretty early in my career with Johnny, and it was the first time that we had been on prime time on NBC for a US Amateur. I mean. So it was big and Tiger had as you know, this incredible following and this incredible interest. And so as the whole week was going on, it just kind of kept building and building. And we would go out and play in the afternoon. That was another good thing. We' go play the uh, <laughs> at which course yeah the yeah. So while you were while you were grinding your way through the field and getting into match play and and, and advancing round by round, actually Johnny would go out and play. So I, that's one of the things I remember was our group on a beautiful late afternoon. After we got off the air, we'd go out and play nine holes or whatever we could get in and then get ready for the next day's telecast. So that was a part of the whole feeling of the week. And then as it got to the weekend, I tell you, you know, in, in, in your now wife, girlfriend, Christy, and uh, the whole scene with her on the bag, it was magical. And at the time, you kind of realized that what you're watching is special stuff. Because you were taking on this guy, Tiger Woods, that no one was supposed to mess with, no one was supposed <laughs> to beat. And you took him to the brink. And I'll never forget, what was he, five down after the morning 18, yeah, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and this is this is another Johnny-ism that is crystal clear to me today that I remember about that week, is that Tiger kind of had this little grin on his face after he got on the range, and you've heard the story. Yeah, But it, apparently, he figured out what was missing in the morning eighteen. And he said he he was saying to himself and Johnny's like, well, I'm telling you, he's saying I'm i am good. us I can't wait to get out there. And obviously he turned it around on you. But uh, I tell you, it was uh, magical stuff. And, <laughs> you know, you can go through this career and do golf events. It's one of the top golf events I've ever done. There's no doubt about it. And it was really the first big golf event um that i was that i was a part of in prime time with that kind of audience so i'll I'll never forget it i know that you're attached to him forever but that's a great thing it's like rocco mediate attached to tiger at the 2008 us open that we did you're the guy attached to him in his amateur days and i, I think that's pretty cool and i know you do too
1: yeah there's a lot of people that uh have thrown everything at him including the kitchen sink and and not come up on the on the right end i know i shot a couple under par in the afternoon 18 after being five up and still lost the match so uh that doesn't happen uh too often in a career either but uh you know things all happen the way they're supposed to and the way everything went down um it, it was uh yeah it was it's it's all the way i i definitely would have knocked the stars out of alignment of uh, in the galaxy if <laughs> if i would have if I would have taken it, uh, Phil Knight, might have had to pull a a zero off of that paycheck that he was going to give him the next day. But you know, you know, talk about uh, other broadcasts. Scott Van Pelt recently was on David Faraday's show, and I I was enamored by this this episode. And he referenced how fortunate he has been to be jumping into golf really back in that middle night, you know, the mid nineties, almost the exact same time as Tiger Woods turned pro. Looking back at that ninety six us am final that we just talked about how grateful are you of the timing of your career and kind of how it followed the same schedule
2: well there's there's no doubt about it my my career wouldn't have taken on the uh the uh role it did or the magnitude of 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 what we of what we were able to cover with tiger had he not been on the scene and i'll even throw in the same at the same time steve uh guy named Michael Phelps came on the scene and swimming at the Olympics, which like he, he, those guys remind me so much of each other and to ride their wave, no pun intended <laughs> or careers from start to finish has been unbelievable blessing. Uh, you know, to, to, have the timing of that. And also to have NBC in my, my instance, retain the rights to all of these properties, the PGA tour golf, uh, uh, the Olympics at NBC as well. We 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 still have the rights to those in county. So to not only be in the right place right time and have those kinds of once-in-a-lifetime athletes to talk about, they're the show. You know, you just try to enhance it. Try not to screw it up, but to have your voice attached to those moments with athletes, special athletes like those, I mean, I I, I thank Tiger and I thank a guy like Michael Phelps every day. Um, again, we work hard. We do our thing, and sure. it's not just about those guys. But I tell you, they're 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 special, and to be along for the ride and to document it has been uh, has really been incredible.
1: Now, do you think Tiger can catch Jack's majors? What what's your feeling on <laughs> what we will see out
2: of Tiger's
1: final chapter or so in his
2: career? It it's crazy. I mean, ever since we started covering him in his amateur days, we talked about. I've 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 always told myself. Never underestimate him, right? Never count him out. I was one of those um, that didn't think he was going to be able to do what he did to come back, win the Tour Championship, which we did, and then eventually a couple other events and then the Masters uh, in 2019. I didn't think any of that was going to happen. So now we have that happening, and now that that is the framework from which we're working, and now as he chases Jack, and now Tiger has had some reckoning with a back and stiffness and things like that at his age of 44. And now we've got majors that are being postponed. I I still don't... And again, I, I, it, I preface it with never underestimating him, but I don't think it's going to happen. I I really thought he was set up maybe to get the Masters done this year, but I don't know how healthy he would have been. Yeah, um, I, 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 I
1: personally I, don't know if it's a bad thing, though, maybe to have things kind of pushed back. He can kind of get as strong as he right. can for... You know, whatever short run that might be that might happen towards the end of this year in the major schedule.
2: Yeah, sure. But if you're asking me if he's going to get 18, I I don't I just think that's that's asking too much. I think if we can get uh, another major out of him, another two majors out of him, that would put him at 17. And these years are, you know, father time, as he says, is unbeaten. And I think that, um, you know, the, the clock is ticking. And I just think odds-wise, even a guy like Tiger, who we think we've uh, learned to never underestimate, I just think it's just a little too high of a mountain to climb for even him.
1: Well, uh, yeah, it, it, you could you could be right. It's uh, you know time will tell for sure. And uh, I mean, I hope it happens. Yeah, I no. hope it happens.
2: <laughs> and I'd like to be I'd like to be at the uh, the Open Championship, uh, you know, with our broadcast team uh, assembled there when it if it did happen. So. But uh, we'll we'll see. Right. That's sports. We don't know. Yeah.
1: And and you you, it is sports. And speaking about sports, you cover so many different sports. Uh, You mentioned you you do. You've done football, tennis, basketball, swimming, speed skating, alpine skiing, diving. I mean, and then obviously the golf. How do you move? from sport to sport so effortlessly. It's just, it seems like you, you've, you've covered one your whole career, but you know, you just jump back and forth.
2: Uh, that's a, that's a really nice compliment, Steven. That's what you hope to hear. You hope to, uh, give the audience, um, something that they don't know about it from a layman's perspective, and then let your analysts do the heavy lifting as far as analyzing what they're seeing. But, I've always took it on as a challenge and I've I've switched a lot of sports, Uh, you know, even later in my career, I went from speed skating, as you mentioned, the winter Olympics to alpine skiing, which is like, holy cow, what's happening here, you know, (laughs) but I just, I just get on the phone and then I spend time with people that have been around the sport. I ask a lot of questions and you immerse yourself in it and you just, you just say to yourself, I'm going to know what this guy's career is all about as far as how many World Cup wins he has you know, who's who are the upcoming skiers, who are the you know, and this goes for any sport you cover, you just really get yourself researched up, you get yourself prepped up. And then though, you have to learn how to call the sport. And there's no other way to do it. And, and, you know, by doing it, you got to get out there and do it. So um, I'll listen to the tapes a lot, especially in the early going of what I like, what I don't like. And I've been in the business long enough to know, that you can, you know, critique yourself and take out things that don't sound well, and replace them with things that are that just sound better to the audience. So it's really uh, the play-by-play part of it is definitely a new gear on every sport, and there's no way to prepare for that other than to do it. So that's what I try to do. But but more more so than anything is to make sure you don't shortchange your audience. Give them something that they can learn from and you know teach them something let the analyst teach them something about the technique and the ins and outs of what they're seeing but my job is to also make them care about the athlete give them something personal like during the olympics that's all we do is we have to bring stories alive that people have no idea what they're about every four years so it's fun. It's really fun to do that.
1: Yeah, Getting the proper lingo down has got to be probably the, the, the biggest challenge. You know, it's not like you can jump into golf and say, oh, he shot a birdie here on the, you know, like that, <laughs> oh, that yeah. doesn't fly with the true golfing uh, public. But uh, uh, a couple more questions before I let you go. You've been super generous with your time, but can you name your top three sporting events that you've covered over your esteemed career?
2: Um, or, or is there just can't... or are there just three <laughs> well, well it starts with the 96 usm no uh <laughs> I, that's up there that's 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 definitely up there but top three would be the 2008 olympics with michael phelps won eight gold medals that's a no-brainer and that probably sits on top of the heap just because it was just unbelievable in the two events that he needed to um, make happen. He, he made happen in Hollywood script type of way. So 2008 U S Olympics with Phelps. Then I would probably go, I would probably go the 2008 U S open with Tiger and Torrey Pines. (laughs) That was just crazy on a broken leg. And after, you know, knee surgery, a few weeks prior to that. Uh, so those are the top two. After that, it gets a little tough, but it, it always kind of does keep coming back to probably the 99 Ryder Cup and the, uh, the comeback of Brookline At Brooke, as far yeah. as just sheer energy and an avalanche of momentum and electricity where um, I always tell myself in certain times, you know, when the, when the action's getting really excited, take a deep breath, calm yourself down. I had to really do some self-talk during that 99 Ryder Cup because it was just so unbelievable what we were watching. And uh, so I would say those three are the top ones that I've uh, been fortunate. Yeah, to those
1: are those are three pretty good ones, uh, for sure. And it's been amazing to have you have you call those and, and hear your thoughts and perspective. Obviously, in that 2008 U.S. Open, the expect anything different one that will uh, that will certainly live with you forever you probably uh, dream about those calls at night like that yeah, that's uh, <laughs> is that is that something that you just that you think up on the fly or that just comes to you because of your 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 genius at what you do or is that is that something that you prepare a day or two okay if tiger wins here's what i'm gonna say
2: yeah i think you can't you can never choreograph or orchestrate anything in this business and anytime i've ever even done a little bit of that it just hasn't sounded sounded good at all. Uh, So that's been one of my cardinal (laughs) rules is I just try to react to things when they're happening. But that's not to say that you don't take in the moment and you're not thinking about what we're seeing here. In maybe like in the instance of Tiger Woods at Torrey Pines, and I've told the story many times, there was this feeling of that crowd, 20, 30,000 people around that that 18th green at Torrey Pines. There was just this palpable feeling that Everybody expected him to make it, and then I look over at Johnny. Uh, a few seconds before he stroked the putt, and Johnny kind of had this little cat, Cheshire cat grin on his face, as if he was expecting him to make it. So as the ball's bouncing across the Poana green there, and it, I tell you, it was dicey. I mean, that, the, that, how that putt went in, I still don't know because it could have wiggled out. As it was kind of as he as it was going down to the hole, I just I just had in my mind, it, it, and then like I said, this is going in. And then I subconsciously I'm going, would you expect anything different? So the crowd (laughs) took a beat roared and I, it just blurted from my, my soul, you know, expect anything different. And, uh, yeah, it was neat because I think uh, the last thing you want to do is take away from a, a really nice moment like that in sports history. But I think if you can enhance it in the broadcast business of what we do, that's what it's all about. And I, I think our whole team did the replays. And if you look at that whole sequence, uh, Tommy Roy and Tom Randolph and all the guys in the truck just nailed it. It was really, really <laughs> fun to be a part of. Uh,
1: it, it still gives me goosebumps just thinking about that moment. And you're right. Tiger never really ever missed a putt that he had to make. And that one. Uh, yeah, that, you would know that. That one was, well, <laughs> the, the greens were much smoother at Pumpkin Ridge than they were that day at at Torrey Pines. True. But uh, spoke about before being able to jump around and play with Johnny Miller uh, a little bit when you were doing some telecasts here and there. Now you're a good player. We had an opportunity to play a couple of years ago. Oh, well, that's
2: very nice of you up, to say. Up,
1: up in New York. What what's your what's your current handicap right now? Or what would it be kind of in the peak of a season, maybe?
2: Uh, well, uh, since I haven't I haven't touched a golf club since last November, and me battling plantar fasciitis is a whole other podcast for Steve Scott to uh, delve into. But I have so I've been injured and I haven't played a long time, but when I stopped playing, it was like a six point something index. Okay. And so good. That's so now when they did the the handicap adjusting, you know, this new handicap yeah. system, all of a sudden I'm like a six point oh. Yeah, right. And I'm thinking if I went out today, I would get my butt kicked. And so that's that's where my handicap sits right now. But now that we're uh on a hiatus, uh I'd be afraid. I actually have in my backyard gone out to the I got one of those little southwest greens uh chipping areas. So I've gone out there and messed around, but I'm finally getting healthy enough to go out there and even do that. But uh so that's where I sit right now, Steve. So if, if if you and I played, I would be getting a boatload of shots. <laughs> let me tell you that. Right all right, now. all right. And I and I would be wearing. I don't know if your audience knows it, but when we played, we played at Bedford Hills. Yeah, right? that's where we played in New York. Yep. So I show up, and I thought I'd have a little fun with Steve. So I show up in red shirt, black pants, <laughs> and I'm thinking, how long is it? How long are we going to play here before Steve notices that I'm dressed up like Tiger Woods? And so I'm, I'm sure I'm sure you probably noticed it at the start. But I, I mean, after a while, we had some fun with it. We took a couple pictures of yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, that, that was that was a fun day. I hope we get a chance to, uh, to do it again sometime. Uh, I, I, I do,
1: too. Uh, have have uh, you, Jim Nance and Joe Buck ever played golf together by chance?
2: Not at once, but it needs to happen. I've, uh, I've played with both of them uh, individually.
1: All right. Who 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 would win a match, though, between the three of you, you think?
2: Wow. You know, we're so <laughs> erratic because we go through times, you know, there, there's times if I'm playing a lot, I could take them down, Steve. I'll take them both down. <laughs> but Joe, I played with Joe just once, and he had a thumb injury, and he wasn't himself, and I'd heard that, you know, he was pretty good at, talking to john smoltz guy he's played a lot of golf with and other people they're like yeah joe's pretty good And joe actually competed for his club championship in st louis like last summer so when i heard of that i go where was that game when i played with you so i think though i think probably when it came if we were all you know a little bit tuned up i i think joe buck would probably take us uh, take us but it, it needs to happen maybe Maybe golf channel would need to cover that and we get our analysts and we you know, me and Zinger. I don't know who Joe would play with since Zinger's you know, we share, you know, (laughs) he could he could share Zinger. He could
1: play for both sides. Maybe
2: Faxon. Or maybe yeah, or maybe we just bring Johnny Miller back. I'll play with Johnny. Joe plays with Zing, yeah. and Nance plays with Sir Nick, and we'll see how it all unfolds.
1: That would be great, great theater. <laughs> we would we would definitely pay money to see that. Now, you you mentioned before, maybe towards the backside of, of your career now, you've been with NBC so long. What sort of other chapters are there left to write in your book?
2: Man, that's a good question. Um, professionally, uh you know, I, I've, I don't know. Uh, that's, that's a good question. Um, you never know what's going to happen down the road. Uh, so that's probably remains to be seen. I have no idea. Um, personally, I think, uh, something that I'm doing right now that I, that I want to spend more time doing, I, you know, our, our, our kids have gotten older. They're they're basically out of the house and it's always great to, to spend time with them. But I played guitar growing up mm. and I, I've always been infatuated with Spanish guitar, and I, during this coronavirus uh, period, I've had a chance to kind of get back into my guitar and play it. My fingers are really hurting me now because when you when you haven't played for a while, they hurt. But I want to I want to get pretty good at that, and I just have never had the time with my schedule to spend any kind of concerted effort at getting better at it. So now I've got more of a taste with more time I've had. So I think uh, when the career winds down, um, I may ha- I might have to send you a link to my uh, my Spanish guitar uh, prowess, Steve. Not <laughs> not that you'd be surprised to hear it or to see it, but uh, that's that's kind of been on my mind, and I, I'd love to do that.
1: Well, you've you've got a lot of prowesses out there, and I I wouldn't put it past you to. Uh... have a a great YouTube page or something with that in the, in the future. We'd love to, we'd love to see that. And, you know, everybody's doing their, their music uh, on Twitter, social media, you know, so throw, throw us a little tune out there in the near future while we're we're still sitting around. But look, Dan Hicks, thanks so much for your generous time, your great insight as always, and your thoughts on our Silver Club podcast. Uh, We look forward to seeing and listening to you more on NBC sooner rather than later.
2: All right, Steve, thanks a lot. Uh, Best to you and Christy and your family and uh, great catching up with you. And I hope the next time we uh, chat, will be in person on a golf course somewhere.
1: Amen, brother. Take care. Thank you. Big thanks again to Dan Hicks. What wonderful perspective he's garnered over the course of his career. Great storyteller, just a super all-around guy. Cannot thank him enough. And I can't thank you enough as our listeners out there in podcast land for subscribing, downloading all of our podcasts. Make sure you do that. Hop on there. Don't miss a second of all the fun. We've got more great guests in the hopper coming up this year. We've got plenty of time to do it. So until then, everybody stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll look forward to bringing you another Silver Club podcast real soon.